Do you want an easy to use interface for your clients? Do you want to optimize client workflows? Do you want to spend less time on clients' books and more time on growing your firm? Do you want to become part of a growing community of client-focused, growth-minded accountants and bookkeepers? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, FreshBooks, later in the episode. Right, they're, they're totally missing the point. And, and I, I wonder if part of the reason is because you know, the AICPA was a big advocate for the 150-hour requirement and making it happen. They led the charge to increase the reputation of the profession by increasing the educational requirements. And I think it was a giant mistake. And we got to undo it as, as much as, as difficult as that would be. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Good morning, Blake. Good morning, David. Happy, happy Friday. We made it to the end of another week. We're in November now. Last time I we know. recorded, it was still October, but the year is almost done. We are wrapping it up here. I had a really fun week because I got to interview a co-founder of Peloton for my Earmark accounting podcast. So subscribe to the Earmark podcast if you have not. I do one-on-one interviews with some really interesting innovators in our profession. Uh, this is the guy, Graham, who uh, I think he was the, there were five co-founders of Peloton, and he was the one that they brought in, and he got assigned a uh, well, he said he drew the short stick and he got to do accounting and finance, even though he's not an accountant. But his dad's a CPA, uh, was a partner at Arthur Anderson. And so he had some, you know, familiarity with things. And, and he had to, like, do the NetSuite implementation. And he had to uh, uh, go It started through. on, like, desktop, right? QuickBooks desktop to online and NetSuite yeah, yeah. to SAP. Yeah. Like, he's been through yeah. it all. Classic startup journey, right? And they had yeah. problems with their data, uh, not being able to use financial and operational data together. And the whole thing, the experience led him to create a new company called Advise, where he's he's building an app for QuickBooks Online. So we talked about that. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to releasing that. It's so and funny, then, like if you think about all the our, our space in general, people get so upset with the existing solutions. There's always still room to build. People are like, I'm just going to build this myself. Like we're always on that kick. Like I know, everybody right? Wants to build something. I can just build it better. I can just build it better. Yep. Uh, the other thing that I did this week that was really exciting is I got an invite to go to a dinner for one of the AICPA small firm get-togethers. I forget the actual name of these things, but people who have done them know what I'm talking about. It's a bunch of small firm owners, maybe a dozen, two dozen, who get together in different parts of the country. And it's local they, in Arizona? Yeah, well, so they came from other places like Seattle and, oh, okay. and San Francisco. Um, and they came here to Scottsdale, Arizona to, you know, get out of the cold, I suppose, enjoy some beautiful desert weather. And, uh, and they just, you know, they get together, uh, somebody from the AICPA comes, they learn, they sit in a seminar, but then they also get to talk and exchange ideas and they're small firm owners. So it's like, you know, like that's the most valuable part of going to a conference for me is getting to talk to people and learn from them, right? Vendors, uh, firm owners. And so that's one of the really valuable things the AICPA does. The thing that I thought was funny about it, a little bit strange, is that we're all sitting around at dinner. There's two tables of us. I'm getting to know these firm owners. And thank you for Argel. Thank you to Argel for inviting me. Um, 
nobody from the AICPA came to dinner. So they, they sent somebody to deliver a four-hour presentation, uh, and then that person left and didn't go to dinner with all the firm owners. And I thought to myself, like, that's the best part of the event, right? Wouldn't you want your representative at the ACPA to, like, hang out with these people? So I, I, I question it all the time. <laughs> I actually, so coincidentally, people were in my hometown as well last weekend. So uh, Joe Woodard does his Woodard Summit, which is, like, very, very small. Um, it might be a, less than 100 firms, 78 firms. And they get the nice resort. They're literally one stoplight from my house. So it's just like a long, winding, three-mile drive. I go up to the nice resort. They're there. So I got to see, um, you know, Ampe was there. Bookkeep was there. Uh, I got to see some pro advisors that I know. Um, got to see Joe for a quick second. And seeing Joe at a smaller event like this, he's a lot more relaxed than when he's putting on the gigantic uh, Scaling New Heights. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's not, and I actually went up going up there twice because um, they, they had some events on Friday night. And then could, the crazy thing, like small world story. So Dina Oberst, who we had on our podcast years ago, we interviewed her. Uh, she's like a salt expert, sales tax mm-hmm. company. And ran into her at the same hotel. She was not there for an accounting-related function. She just happened to be at the hotel. And so it's funny to like run into former guests of the podcast just out in the wild. It's kind of uh, exciting. It's a small world. Yes. Well, David, we should get to the news. Uh, last week, we spent most of our episode talking about pumpkin patches and tax deductions and necessary and ordinary expenses as defined by the IRS or not. So we've got a backlog of tech news to talk about. I think you've got a big story to start us off. Could we play a game? Would you like to play a game, Blake? I love games. I would love to I, play a game with you, I David. Want you to guess, I want you to guess who I am. Who you, you ever are. play that game? Like, like, I'm like, oh, oh, I wear boots, and I have a fire hose, and I, I have a helmet. Yeah. And you're like, this, oh, you're a fireman. This is like right? an old game show at one point, right? Where uh, the, the it would be like a celebrity, and then the the contestants would have to try and ask questions. It was like 20 questions, right? Was the yeah. name of the game? Yeah. So, yeah. do you want a hint or no hint? Uh, I mean, go easy on me. It's been a right, while. I'll just go. I'll, I'll do no hints. All right, here okay. we go. You ready? Yeah. Who am I? I have a GL. I do AP scanning and capture. I do approval workflows. I do bill payment. I do virtual cards. I create and send invoices. I have a bank account. I manage payments. I manage projects. I do reporting. I do estimates. I do expense tracking. I do business plans. I help you capture customer reviews uh, slash marketing. I offer cash flow forecasting and planning. I have a dashboard. I offer business loans. Who am I, Blake? Uh, well, you sound, kind of sound like QuickBooks. QuickBooks or Zero or, <laughs> or a GL, like a full-blown accounting yeah, package. Yeah, you sound like, you sound like a, yeah, an accounting system. Well, yeah. wrong. I am Bill. I just say Bill now. I don't say Bill.com. I am Bill. You're Bill. <laughs> Also Wait. known as Bill.com. So, I mean, I know confusion. Bill has been acquiring a lot of apps and they do a lot now, but I didn't think yeah. that they did all that. So they, obviously they have their own functionality with Bill.com. They bought Divi. So that gave them expense tracking, more, more AP automation workflows. They bill payment, virtual cards, right? They bought invoices to go, which has tons of stuff. Estimates, projects, reports, business plans, capturing reviews. What else does it have? It's payments, right? It does everything for, with that. When they bought Divi, they actually got a true GL. There was a, and I always forget the name of the GL. But, so Divi bought a GL, and then Bill.com soon after bought Divi. So they have a full-blown GL as well. I just always forget the name of that system. And now they just purchased Finmark. Finmark. 
So hmm. Finmark is a um, planning cash flow analytics tool. So it has dashboards. It helps you plan. Uh, it connects in your payroll systems, your accounting systems, obviously your bill pay and invoice workflows. So you can project out and probably similar to a draft like product, I can imagine, right? Right. Um, for FP&A. And so now this is like the last piece of this. The only thing I think Bill.com doesn't have is payroll. But hmm, who built a payroll company before and sold it to Intuit? Who has the skill set and knowledge and possibly the engineers? Because there's a lot of old. So Rene Lissart, when he launched PayCycle, which is the payroll, which is now Intuit Payroll, a lot of those old PayCycle people are at Bill.com. There's no reason they can't build payroll again. Right? Especially with like these apps like CheckHQ where these payroll APIs exist and you just build a front end on top of an existing payroll API. Right? They That's true. Payroll, like, this is a full stack. Like, they I mean, are a full-blown QuickBurst competitor. If, if they can actually integrate all this stuff into a single package the way when you buy QuickBooks, it's all there together, at least it seems to be. <laughs> let, let, let's loosely define that because like, like I have the bank account in QuickBooks and it's it, it's yeah. not as integrated. It's all green, like the colors, but it's not as tight as we all like to think <laughs> it is. And it's probably if you start thinking about like um, QuickBooks Online Advance, where they've really done this acquisition strategy and pieced together all these pieces, it's probably not as tight as you like it to believe, right? So yeah. th- this is this is serious. Like there is a new player a full stack player. They're a full stack player now, which is the stack expensive going down. Everybody wants to be the full stack. Interesting. Well, you know, it, yeah, it kind of surprised me when I heard about this bill buying FP&A software, but I guess if they use it for cash flow, I mean, that's their core business is accounts payable automation, right? So if they use it to figure out how to do cash flow planning inside of bill for small businesses, that was always the weak point of Bill, actually, when I used it was they had this kind of wonky, or not wonky, it's just sort of janky, what's the right word, a cash flow projection tool where it would, based on your payment dates, it would show you, okay, you know, here's your balance, you'd have to manually enter your bank balance, and then it would project out your cash flow, and you could enter inflows and outflows manually, and actually, that's, that's how I provided short-term cash flow forecasting to my clients. Uh, but then they like never invested in it and it just sort of like disappeared. I think they even like removed it from the product at one point. So, well, it's hard uh, to get because you can't get the whole picture, right? And so, like, if you just build cash flow into Bill app, you're missing yeah. all the income. It's yeah, pretty, right. It's, right. It's very hard. And then on top of that, unless you're giving like quotes and estimates, right? Or you're connected maybe a CRM where there's a, a deal funnel, like, how do you even project the future revenue coming? You can, kind of only can project out the cost to some extent. And then if you don't connect to payroll, like there's just, it's really hard to actually do true cash flow forecasting. But I do think if I step back and think about a dream, right, the perfect dream would be you would have your cash flow forecast and it would automatically take all your bills and optimize when to pay all those and just create the payments, set the perfect dates and optimize all that. But I think it's really tough to do. And then it may, like you said, putting stuff in yourself, it goes back to the old Quicken days. Quicken used to have that calendar and you would, drag and drop your bills and your checks, you just drag them around on the calendar and they would show yeah. the balance on the side. And it's almost like a perfect UI to some extent. Yeah. Right? Why can't you it just... be that easy, right? Like it's not that complicated. It's in and out. <laughs> you know, even the zero short-term cash flow forecast is not that easy to use. You can't drag yeah. and drop on a calendar. It's and just then, silly. And then if, if you were going to be negative that day, that day turns red and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I'll drag that guy to three days later. Oh, yeah. The whole calendar is green. It, it's like so simple, but it's personal finances. But- 
Like really, when you're thinking about cash flow, you're really doing basic personal finances. That's what you're doing many times. You're, do I have enough money to pay my bills? Yeah. Right? Kind of the same. But anyways, that's enough of that. And then obviously, I don't even think we talked about it on the show, Bill.com is now Bill. So it's yeah, kind of- they just rebranded I feel like we're talking about a person though. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like, you no, know, we'll get used to it, I suppose. Right? That's how rebrands work. You always get used to it eventually. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Lysio. Blake and I talk a lot in the show about client experience. A great client experience may be the biggest impact on a firm's success. Did you know that Lysio is so focused on improving the client experience that they have even gone as far as trademarking, and I quote, client experience 2.0. Lysio's all-in-one client experience starts with your own firm's experience. By allowing your team to do more together, having everything in one place like secure messaging, client-facing tasks, file exchange and storage, electronic signatures, client invoicing, and client emails. When you improve your team's experience, your client's experience will follow. With Lysio, clients can use the app on their phone to easily e-sign anything, scan and send you documents from anywhere, send messages, and best of all, pay you. If you want to save 40% of your time by having everything in one place and start delivering a client experience 2.0, Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Lysio. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-S-C-I-O. Well, here's a story on the future of our accounting profession. This popped up on, I think it was Bloomberg News originally by Adrian Wooldridge. And the headline is, the accountant shortage threatens capitalism's future. Wow, that's dramatic. Also, yeah, I, picked the, I have the same article. It was in uh, Washington Post. So, okay. Okay. Well, so, you know, he goes back, uh, Adrian Wooldridge goes back to the time of Renaissance Florence, when 4,000 to 5,000 of the city's 120,000 inhabitants attended accounting schools at any one time, studying the new device of double entry accounting with its delicate balance of profit and loss. And uh, it talks about how that was like the foundation of modern capitalism. And think about that. That's a lot of people in a population studying double entry accounting. And he talks about when I went to Italy, Medici, you have a Pacioli. Like these are all the statues I went and visited on Mm -hmm. my journey Mm -hmm. in Italy. He talks about the golden age of Holland, uh, you know, when double entry bookkeeping was central, foundational to corporations, modern corporations the Dutch East India Company, which was, you know, the first real big modern corporation uh, that floated bonds. Talks about how, you know, America <laughs> I, took up the the banner after Britain. But he said the cult of accounting then passed to bigger countries. The cult of accounting. The cult <laughs> of accounting, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but then he finally gets to the point of this, which is that uh, the profession is suffering from a shortage of talent Bloomberg Tax calculates that the number of accountants and auditors employed fell by 17% between 2019 and 2021. And that's not due to a demand issue. That's due to a supply. The shortage starts with the supply. Fewer than 100,000 people take the CPA exam each year, and about half of them fail. The number of CPA exam candidates decreased by 7% between 2017 and 2018, while the number of candidates who passed all four sections of the exam decreased by 6%. University enrollment in accounting courses fell by 4% between 2016 and 2017. But according to Deloitte, 
82% of hiring managers for accounting and financial positions in public companies believe that recruitment is a, quote, big challenge, unquote. We've got high turnover, growing demand. We've got demands on our skills and our time. And the question is, with this shortage and this high demand, are we going to be able to save capitalism? Capitalism depends on good accounting. And if we don't have time to do it right, and there's not enough people to do it, then we're going to have more audit failures. We're going to have more financial reporting problems. And, so, and he even ties this, because you kind of skipped it from the, the history. He's going through the history. The reason he was building the history, because he was talking about really how, as it spread to bigger countries, and it's stuck in American England, but Spain and France kind of, eh, what's this accounting stuff? They kind of had that ignorance is bliss kind of point of view. Yeah. And they had financial collapses because of this. Right, right? yeah. You, you stop paying attention to the accounting and your economy collapses is the and, point. And, and if you think about the two biggest hits to our economy in the last millennial is Enron in 2001 slash 2002, that caused that crash, right, of the markets. And that was accounting related. And then you think about Lehman Brothers, that's all dodgy numbers in accounting related in 2008. Right? So- I was listening to the AICPA Town Hall series podcast on one of my walks, and they they uh, brought up this issue, this um, CPA pipeline problem. They're actually discussing it. They waited until about 40 minutes into the episode to discuss it, but they did talk about it. And I wanted to play this because they've got some data there on what they believe is causing it and what the profession should do about it. So I wanted to play a little segment from this podcast and uh, you, uh, take a listen, and then we'll discuss. We've done uh, you know, numerous studies over the years, um, and this is, I think, a really strong list of all the things impacting and constricting that pipeline. Tighter immigration policies, so we've got less international students studying accounting. We are seeing declining college enrollment, not only due to uh, declining birth rates, but just less students in college. Why is that? One is increasing college costs. Over 50% of teenagers are open to something other than a four-year degree. You're also seeing a different generation of students. They have different perspectives on education. They have a different perspective around um, um, a desire for a more immediate return on investment. And clearly they're thinking more about work life and uh, meaning. They're trying to address the profession's reputation address the crazy hours and the burnout and diversity challenges where students don't see themselves as CPAs and as a public accounting. So um, I think we've got to just change our, our what we're saying about uh, public accounting and um, work together. So we, Mike, we know these demographic issues, though, exist for every profession. This is not unique to the accounting profession. So what are some of the things that the association's doing to help the profession operate in this changing and challenging environment? I don't know that there's any one hurdle that's stopping students more than any others. There's a number of hurdles, and in some cases, you need them to protect the public. And it, it, it's the reason why, you know, we're, we're licensed in the work that we do. So um, the AICPA has taken a leadership role. We pulled together these key stakeholders um, in a, like a summit stakeholder group, we're brainstorming potential solutions. We're going to be doing extensive outreach and we'll have lots of opportunities for feedback. We're working very hard with ensuring that accounting is recognized as part of the technology within STEM. 
Center for Audit Quality's done a great job with advocating for accounting with their Accounting Plus initiative. Uh, so a, a lot of different groups are doing a lot of different things. The research has shown that firm demand is the number one driver for someone who wants to be a CPA. So, you know, providing support, you know, payment, um, uh, rewarding them and, and sort of coaching them and mentoring kids through the uh, CPA journey is, is really a big driver. Um, NASPA is doing a lot as well. They're providing reminders to the candidates, the colleges and universities, and even at the high school level can do a lot to drive the excitement. It can be an exciting profession. I think we've just got to do a better job of promoting. I am sure that there are a lot of questions coming in about the 150-hour requirement. And we talked about it as a hurdle, and it is one of many hurdles that um, individuals coming into our profession, and yes, it is a profession, need to tackle. There are a couple of things I wanted to raise here because there are a lot of factors as to why students don't seek CPA licensure. And absolutely, no question, the 150 hours is one of them. But I always like to put that in, into perspective because, you know, I know a lot of practitioners are concerned that it's the primary factor and actually surveys show that it's not even really close. Yeah, it is one. I, I absolutely acknowledge that. But it, it's interesting when you look at the top five reasons, and I think they're actually very manageable and just changing a few things could help significantly. And so the first one is workload. They can't time, find time to study. And so this can be fixed by just working with them just to find the time. The second one is personal time commitments. And that one's a, a bit tougher to fix because that gets to, you know, family and caring for people and work-life balance, but it's related to the first one. So again, helping that, helping the individual find the time and giving them the motivation to study, I think is something that is very fixable. The third is interesting, and we're going to get into the CPA exam because I think CPA evolution and the new exam is going to help with this, is fear of failure. The fourth is navigating the exam application and shame on us. If the exam application is difficult to navigate, we need to fix that. And, and I know we've been working with NASA on that. And then the fifth is just, it's, it's, the exam is hard. It, it's a high stakes exam and there's cost to the exam. And again, that's something that firms can help with. But anyway, the, I just, I felt like I should go through the top five because 150 doesn't even fall into that category. But having said that, it is really important that we address it. And Mike mentioned the fact that we are looking at creative ways for students to accomplish that in a very cost-effective way, involving expanded internship credit hours or work, um, work study that would account for like those extra 30 credit hours. So there are a lot of things we're working on and hopefully we'll have solutions over the next couple of months. Okay, sorry to make you listen to that whole segment. They took a lot longer than I remembered to get to the point. 10,000 yeah. CPAs come onto these live webinars and can give feedback. And so every time they talk about the 150 hour requirement, the fifth year requirement to get your CPA, people say that's the reason. And then every time they say that, the AICPA says, no, it's not. Our survey. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we, we did a survey. It's not the top five things. It's not even in the top five, which I find totally implausible. And one of our live stream viewers feels that way as well. Hazardous Items, thank you for joining us today. Hazardous Items said, 
The survey is biased. It only interviews people who are accounting students. It doesn't survey people who initially wanted to do accounting but then switched to finance or marketing or supply chain. Does the AICPA understand survivorship bias? We, we can do this because we have the Accounting Twins podcast. I will have them do an episode on why one went that path to CPA and one didn't. Like, that's why this podcast is so great. It's the built-in experiment. But it's funny because all those other things she listed as reasons, like, if you listen to the Accounting Twins podcast, this is what they're talking about. And it's funny because I think that podcast in my brain, I set out to make a podcast for accounting students and CPA candidates. And in a weird way, all the nuggets that are in there are what accounting professors, the ASCPA, firm leaders, they're the ones that need to be listening to this podcast. Because I, that, I agree. It's straight up raw, raw data of, of the saying things because most, most young people in accounting don't have the platform or the encouragement to say how they're feeling about this industry. And it, it, it's strange because it's the people who will get the most value from the Accounting Twins podcast are probably leaders in this profession, which is not who it was made for, but that's who's probably going to get the most value from it. So the ASCPA, I haven't seen this survey, but I'm going to guess it's a survey of CPAs and students and accountants who are in the CPA pipeline. So they have already decided to major in accounting. They are either majoring in accounting, they are a graduate, and now they are working in a firm, they are pursuing the CPA, they're in the middle of taking their CPA, or maybe they already did. So if you survey those people and you ask them, is the 150-hour requirement the reason that you're not getting your CPA, you're not going to get a lot of people saying yes, because the people that were turned off by that never majored in accounting in the first place. Yeah. And the ones that are there have mentally digested and just accepted it yeah. as fact at this point. Exactly. Yeah. They've just accepted it. So so that it's just completely wrong logic, right? They're they're totally missing the point. And and I, I wonder if part of the reason is because they, you know, the AICPA was a big advocate for the 150 hour requirement and making it happen. They led the charge to increase the reputation of the profession by increasing the educational requirements. And I think it was a giant mistake and we got to undo it as as much as as difficult as that would be you know you look at the decline and the thing is that not everything they say is wrong there right um i think it was mark who said that you know students are experiencing increased college costs college is way more expensive today than it was when the 150 hour requirement uh, was passed, and especially way more expensive than most of the baby boomers who are leading at the AICPA and at firms uh, experienced. You know, like my parents in their 70s, uh, college, like my mom worked at the post office and paid for her entire college education on a part-time job. You can't do that today, right? No. Um, so college enrollment is dropping because there's a strong labor shortage, which means that people can get jobs without going and getting four-year degrees. So you have fewer people going to college. And then think about it this way. If you're going to college and it's very expensive and you say, oh, I could spend uh, four years or I could spend five years, why would I spend 20% more when the starting salary isn't any higher or is even less than other degrees that are only four years? It's just logical, right? And if exam cost is even on the list, then you would think that the cost of the actual fifth year of education would be on that list. And I don't see any actual solutions in here. You know, it's all these like, oh, we're going to do, we're going to put together a stakeholder group and we're going to 
you know, encourage firms to give people better workload and have time to take the CPA exam and personal time commitments. So, that, you know, like we're going to we're going to make work life balance better in the profession. Right. But like nobody can make firms do that. Nobody can. The ICPA can't tell firms like, OK, you need to make your accountants not work more than 40 hours a week. So the only way to solve this, the thing that we can actually do is to reduce the barrier to entry. And, you know, it's funny, too, that navigating the exam application, which is a totally horrible process, is on there. Like NASBA does not make it easy to take the CPA exam. It's not easy. And the exam cost is on there, too. So, you know, I just I don't see a solution. Right. This is a problem that is huge because 75 percent of CPAs are going to retire soon, very soon. And we already don't have enough accountants. So does it, just thinking about the AICB's interest is getting people to become CPAs to some extent. Like that's, it doesn't matter if you're a bookkeeper, like it's not, that's not their game, right? So I don't know if you, and this was tweeted at you in uh, Iowa, the Iowa auditor for the state. So this is to actually work in the division, the auditing division of the state of Iowa. They've eliminated the need for a four-year degree. So if you have accounting skills, they might still hire you. You don't have to have a four-year accounting degree now to work there. So if if businesses in, in general is going to be like, we don't even care if you have an accounting degree. If you got accounting skills, we're going to bring you in. Is that going to lead to even less people taking the CPA exam? Because now I can get a job. I don't even need the letters on my name. Right. And that's the danger here is that it's not going to be good. If, if the number of CPAs drops too much, then we lose market. Like if we lose too much market share, then we lose the brand. So that's why you can't let the number of CPAs drop too much because then people will realize, oh, I don't actually need a CPA to do this stuff for my business. Is we this want because it be, it's it's like a, a club, like hey, there's this golf club, and it's really hard to get into, and then eventually it almost ages out. And like I'm never going in that uh, golf club. Those guys are like, like it, it just it's too exclusive, and eventually the shine wears off. Is this yeah. kind of a, a, a I, I, it I, an I think, analogy of where we're at? I think it could be. It could be, right? Like, and the the CPA brand is resting on its laurels, right? It reached a peak in the 60s and the 70s, and it has been on a slow decline ever since, or just a plateau, right? I mean, in the last 20 years, for sure, it's been it's been slowly declining, and the pandemic just accelerated that dramatically. And what I don't understand about the state CPA society leaders and the ASCPA leaders is, like, why they don't see this as an existential crisis, because... If 75% of CPAs are soon to retire, let's let's say, I mean, the number is hard to know, but they've put out their own stats that say like in the next 10 years, and that was a few years ago. So 75% of CPAs are at or near retirement age. Those people are going to retire and they're going to stop paying dues. So the ASCPA is going to lose like 75% of its revenue in the next 10 years. And so are the state societies. Like, don't they care? So this is this is like your business model is on fire. Yeah, like, but like you're like, like you have no your funnel of revenue coming in. Like you're right, they are. And th- the startups talk about it's that runway, right? The yeah. runway is going away very fast. But maybe the problem is that the people running these societies and the ASCPA are also close to retirement, and they just don't care, or it's not a problem that they're going to have to deal with, and and they're just avoiding the problem, just like firm owners are avoiding. The problem, many firm owners are avoiding the succession problem. They don't have people who want to buy into their partnerships anymore, and they don't know how to do it a different way. And so there's going to be this glut of CPA firm sales 
soon, people retiring, and they're just going to have to close the doors because nobody's going to want to buy the business. Nobody's going to want to buy into the partnership, uh, which is, of course, why there's just like a crazy amount of opportunity. If you're an accountant in your 30s or 40s and you've got experience, you know what you're doing, like you can go out and buy a laptop and open up a firm and be building a very profitable bit business very <laughs> quickly. You don't need to go to college. You, you don't. Learn QuickBooks. No. And, like, and, and the, learn QuickBooks with a laptop. And right. I see these videos all the time online. Yeah. Now like that's the, grand a year. that's the uh, sketchy side of it, right? But when those people crop up, it's because they see an opportunity. They, the people pitching like, you don't need to uh, know any accounting to do bookkeeping. You just need to uh, buy this get this free piece of software, which I think is QuickBooks Accountant Edition, right? And you can yeah. do a bookkeeping business. Uh, but that's, that's, a, that's an indicator of where things are going in terms of the labor shortage. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks. FreshBooks accounting software is built for owners and their accountants to work better together. It's a full general ledger with financial reports, bank feeds, and journal entries. And it's an easy-to-use platform, which means clients can feel comfortable tracking their day-to-day finances. FreshBooks has your favorite app integrations too, like Gusto for Payroll and Tally4 to create easier, less manual tax returns. These features are just the beginning. Through its accounting partner program, FreshBooks supports a growing accounting community where they really want your feedback on expanding the platform's features. Partners get a ton of other perks too, like a free FreshBooks account, access to a dedicated support team, membership within an exclusive online community, and a library of on-demand training materials. Learn about collaborative accounting and the benefits of working better together with FreshBooks by heading over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash FreshBooks. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S. FreshBooks, work better together. So, that same article about Iowa has a second half to it about, um, this is Iowa State University's Michael Bootsma. Uh, doesn't say what his title is, but he works for the university, obviously. And he goes on to say, many students tend to study the subject of accounting when there's an economic downturn because it's seen as a recession-proof job. Yeah. So we've had pretty much a whole entire generation that's never seen a tough day in its life. Right? Yeah, let's, it's been. Let's let's be, let's be honest. It's been I, a very long time since it's been tough. Two thousand eight yeah. was tough, but I don't know. I think the early eighties and seventies were probably tougher. So I, in general, but even though I, the I, math I, might argue differently, but no, I um, look, I graduated into the Great Recession. Like, yeah. uh, I I graduated from college, and it was the worst year of that. Right, like right after I yeah. couldn't get a job at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> you know, I had to work at Starbucks, um, and. But it, yes, since then, it's all been upswing, right? But here's the problem. And this is the thing I hear every now and then I'll hear somebody say this. Oh, there's going to be a recession. It's going to solve the problem. Because all those people. That's who, not in the, the ICB's deck. It wasn't in their thing. Like, no, hey, they're going to crash the economy to get more accountants. No, they don't like, say that. But I was at I was actually at an event and somebody from NASBA, an actual NASBA employee, said that you know, this is something that might solve the problem. And I'm like, no, it's not going to solve the problem because you look at the numbers and there's still such a shortage of accounts that even if the economy cratered, we don't have enough. Like you said, we we, are, we have 19% fewer accountants. Um, I think that was the number in that article than we had a few years ago. And, and so like, that's why a recession isn't going to solve the accounting talent crisis. Uh, I want to call out some of our live stream viewers and a reminder to our listeners that we now live stream 
uh, almost all of our episodes on Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific. And you can join our live streams by subscribing to our YouTube channel. Uh, Thank you, Matthew, for joining us today. Matthew said, I'm an enrolled agent that decided that route rather than CPA, mainly because the 150-hour rule did not fit in my life plan. I feel like a Becker review course would suffice to prep for the exam. A lot of people I hear go for EA rather than CPA because um, I think, I don't remember what the education requirement is for the EA. I think it's just a bachelor's degree. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matthew. And then you take the three exams. And and like to me, I like that simplicity, right? Why make people go take specific courses if you have an exam that tests for knowledge? So just require that people have a bachelor's degree if you want to have an education requirement. I think a lot of people would support at least that uh, college degree. And then let people use a combination of work experience and uh, the exams to satisfy the requirement. Here's a reason why uh, I don't think we have an excuse. Uh, you know, the AICPA in that interview, they listed a lot of excuses for why there's a shortage, which have to do broader, like demographic changes, fewer people going to college, right? I, I hear that and I hear that's a crap excuse because the CMA, the Certified Management Accountant Certification, has been growing this whole time. And the CPA has been plateauing and declining. So if this was an industry-wide thing, then why is the CMA growing and the CPA is not? They're attracting- What's the difference between those two? Well, the CMA is a certified management accountant uh, run by the Institute of Management Accountants. You well, take what's the difference exa- in the requirements? I'm assuming oh. there's a test at the end, but yeah. so, getting so to that end. CMA, you just need to have a bachelor's degree and- you take uh, an exam, a rigorous exam, and you have to have three years of work experience. So there's not 150 hours. Right. You. No 150 hours. So that's the that's the variable that's difference between these two. You're both. Yes. You have a bachelor's degree in accounting. You don't even have to have a degree in accounting. Hours it can be in, and you just bail out. You can have a degree in anything. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is great for career changers, right? Let's say you're like me and you majored in music, but then you realize, oops, that was a kind of poor decision. It, you so know. this is a homework assignment for you, or if a listener is really excited, you trace the number of CPAs and CMAs over time, because you can put a dot on a graph somewhere that says, here's when the 150-hour rule was added, and then you should be able to see those diverge. Well, it doesn't quite, because the 150-hour rule went in at different times in different states, and then we also had stuff like, I don't know how much it overlapped with Sarbanes-Oxley, but when the Sarbanes-Oxley Act passed after the fall of Enron, that increased demand for accountants dramatically. And so a lot of people went into accounting too because it was big news and that that pumped up the numbers because it made a lot of work for us, right? So it's, it's deceptive uh, in my, my opinion. Matthew says, you don't need a degree at all for an EA. So thank you for that correction, Matthew. No degree for EA, you just take the exams. And honestly, I wonder why can't we just do that with the CPA exam? Why do we even require education? Traditional education is so crazy expensive. And if you can learn the material on the job, or hey, let's just say you're book smart and you can learn from taking courses on your own or reading a reading the standards, whatever, like if you're a genius, why can't you just take the exam? Make the exam harder if you're worried about people passing it who don't know what they're doing. But I, I don't this, this whole like education requirement I see as an artificial barrier. And we all know those people who get through college, cheat their way through, uh, muddle their way through that don't know anything, right? Well, even yourself, Blake, you didn't, I'm not saying you cheated, but you took classes that had nothing with accounting just to hit your 150 hours. Yeah, I took uh, Intro to Philosophy, which was good because it made me question 
the nature of my reality and the uh, the profession that I have joined. So maybe a philosophy course should be required for all accountants. Uh, OCC says, uh, thank you for joining us today, OC, uh, said, greetings. I like having you guys as a as on as background noise while I finish the close. Background noise. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to us. And I'm, I, I'm glad we can make your financial close uh, a bit more pleasant. OC also said, I actually went for the 150 credit to get my CPA mid through my MBA when I realized I was no longer interested on pursuing the CPA and ended up working in industry instead. Best decision ever. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Canopy. Did you know that Canopy has a partnership with the IRS? This means that you can now use Canopy to pull your client transcripts. The integration is approved by the IRS and can be configured to automatically pull transcripts you can easily monitor if and when something changes. Now here's the best part. Once you have your client's transcripts, you can use Canopy's notices feature to help you resolve your client's notices. Canopy has a library of 350 plus pre-built federal and state notice templates that provide an overview of the notice type as well as walk you through the recommended steps to resolution. And Canopy can even create and autofill your IRS response letters. Canopy also integrates with QuickBooks Online, Xero, FreshBooks, CRMs, Form Builders, Spreadsheets, Calendars, Email, and Zapier. They even have a mobile app, centralized file management, fillable PDFs, a client portal, task management, and the list goes on and on. To get a demo of Canopy and to receive a $40 Amazon gift card, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Canopy. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-A-N-O-P-Y. So... Obviously, firms are trying to hire employees and fill their staff. But did you see now we have to fill like the one of the most important positions in our industry? Did you? Oh see yeah, it? yeah. The uh, IRS commissioner uh, Chuck Reddick is... has three weeks left. I didn't know this. How yeah. did we miss this? What a horrible podcast. We don't stay on top of anything. Like, well, how did we not know this was coming? I think we we got distracted by the pumpkin patch last week. The pumpkin David. patch. The pumpkin patch tax deduction story. Um, yeah, I saw this news too. And I saw it in the context of Chuck Reddick is out as IRS commissioner, but Biden hasn't nominated a successor. And then I'm thinking like, oh my Tax God. Tax Twitter should nominate somebody. We should have yeah. a grassroots nomination process. Well, and the, the question is, well, why hasn't he nominated somebody, right? Like they're giving the IRS $80 billion. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and then down in the article was some political analysis that said, most likely the Democrats don't want to give Republicans any more talking points about the one the eighty billion dollars for the IRS. So by waiting to nominate, they table that conversation for later. But it also means that we're going to likely have a Republican Congress. So any nomination by Biden is going to have to get through a Republican Congress, and that means uh, th- I mean that's good news if you're a Republican and and you want to you know have a say in that. Yeah, even so. even the going concern, right, who reported on this, they go on to talk about the 87,000, right? This big number everybody talks about. Oh, the, the 87,000 87, armed IRS agents? Yeah, well, but they call it new <laughs> positions. So even even going concerns not getting this right. It's yeah. not 87,000 new positions. A lot of the positions exist already. It's just bodies to backfill. Well, it's because they're when not accounting for the pay. turnover that's going to happen. Yeah. But that's what I mean. But you can't, But but if something like going concern still calls them new positions. How do we expect MSNBC and Fox and all the other people to get it right? Yeah. I don't know. And, and to, to me, this is like a failure of communication from the uh, administration and from the IRS itself, like not being able to explain what the money is going to be used for. 
I mean, if I were them, if I were the IRS commissioner, maybe, maybe put put my my name in the hat, David. If I were the IRS commissioner, oh, it's official. I'm going to tweet this out. <laughs> I I mean, I would say, look, before we spend any of that money on additional enforcement, we are going to fix customer service at the IRS. We're going to put all of our energy into making it easier for people to get through on the phones, to pay the taxes they owe. The people who are trying to do the right job, we're going to make life easier for them. And then once we do that, we're going to go after the cheats. And we're going to make sure that we don't go after the people who made honest mistakes, right? It's like nobody's saying that. The communication is just atrocious out of this. Uh but, you know, this is also uh, one of my criticisms uh, or questions for the AICPA is like, why, why aren't you helping to lead the way with this, right? Like, help, help the administration figure out where to spend the money. I was at that dinner of small firm owners, that AICPA small firm get together thing. And the best part of that dinner, David, was I asked everyone at the table for their worst IRS horror story. And oh, you should have recorded this. I know. I t- after I, after people started episode. talking, after people started talking, I'm like, I wish I had brought a microphone to this, and I want to get everyone together. I I want to record everyone's IRS horror story, uh, their their or just even their average experience story, make a podcast episode and send that to the new IRS commissioner, because I feel like they're clueless. I feel like they have no idea just how bad it is to be a tax preparer. And I think most of the problems in our profession when it comes to firms, because most firms do tax and CPA firms do tax, is like working with the IRS. It's just terrible. And, and you know what's funny too? Uh, one of the um, owners there said, she, she was talking about the new um, voice prompts that you get that we talked about last week where to, to yes. stop the automated services like call and queue, you now have to say a phrase. The IRS phone line will say, okay, say this phrase and you have to say it and then it will decide it if you're math. a bot. It was Remember it was like, Three plus one, you have to answer four. Right. Yeah. Well, no, but there's another one. There's a variant on that where it might just be like three random words, like Tokyo Monkey Hotel. Or the best one is you have to repeat the phrase, customer service is important. <laughs> they should say like, what is the accounting equation? Really prove that you're a they, practitioner of some type. They could ask, ask tax trivia questions. And so that way on the practitioner priority service line, the only people who get through are the ones who actually you know, know what they're doing. Right, that would be pretty funny. Although I suppose it's the people who don't know what they're doing that need the most help. So <laughs> I, I don't know, but you know, yeah, it's um, hazardous item says I'm not in tune with IRS politics, but does the political association really matter for top IRS leaders? I always felt the counting and taxes were always apolitical. They should be, but unfortunately, they are not. And for years, politicians on both sides of the political spectrum have defunded and underfunded the IRS in order to appease constituents who want an underfunded IRS. If you're a large corporation or you are a very wealthy individual who's pursuing really risky tax strategies, you want fewer audits because it means that you can be more aggressive. And unfortunately, average taxpayers aren't able to really take advantage of a lot of those strategies. And so they, they don't get to be as aggressive, um, just by the nature of, you know, most people are taking a standard deduction and whatnot. That's my opinion. And the IRS has been starved for this reason. And it's, it's not, I mean, the Republicans started this, uh, you know, it was like, uh, who's, who was that politician that was like, uh, back in the nineties, along with Newt Gingrich that said, you know, we got to starve the beast. 
the idea is you cut funding to a, a, a oversized bureaucracy, and then it has to shrink down. And they yeah. did that with the IRS, but it doesn't work. It just makes service levels horrific. And I, I could talk about it for a long time, but I just feel like, you know, underfunding our revenue generating arm of the government, like politically, we've reached the point where you got Ted Cruz just tweeting out like every month randomly, like abolish the IRS and nobody's trying to fix it. Well, he's just, he's just, he's just playing. The, he learned after Trump beat him, he learned and he's just playing the same game. Yeah, like, he's like, this is what works. I'll just do attention grabbing things. So, and, I don't know. So. Maybe maybe we need more than stats to convince people that the IRS needs fixing in terms of customer service. We need actual like stories from accountants and business owners talking about like just how ridiculous some of this stuff is. Like one of the things um, we were talking about was like foreign accounts. If you do that, you know, if you have a foreign bank account and you failed to disclose it, you can do a uh, um, you can come clean with the IRS. Well, even if it's a small amount, if you do that, they will automatically hit you with a $10,000 fine. And then you have to go appeal to like get that waived. But that's like one of those processes. It's like, why, why do we do that? Why do we automatically hit everybody with a $10,000 fine? You know, it's just, it's not a, a good customer service kind of thing, right? Like make exemptions. Anyway. It's called uh, fixed rate fines. Yeah. <laughs> it's related to the fixed rate pricing. All right. Uh, enough on that. What uh, we got? We got a few more minutes in this episode. You want to talk about anything else, David? Uh, that's a kind of an interesting thing. Walmart is going to start letting struggling SMBs a home inside its stores. So Walmart is partnering up with a company called Popable. Popable. Popable is in the business of like helping smaller Main Street USA stores have pop-up stores inside of other venues. Mm. So. So where I'm thinking, I'm going with this in my brain, and I'm like, I remember being a kid going to Sears, and you know, you, you, your family would get the photos done at Sears, right? And then there'd be the table over here, and it's an H&R block table doing tax returns, right? Yeah. Kind yeah. of that one-stop type shop. And I'm like, should firms go to a pop-up? If you're in the tax 1040 business, go to yeah. a pop-up inside Walmarts? I, like, it's, that's an, I don't I, know. I, I just, it's just where my head's yeah. at, right? On this. Yeah. It's an interesting strategy. It's an opportunity. Well, you know, the, I think that there's a lot of opportunities to get out in front of business owners uh, where they are meeting each other. And I feel like I go to some events and there's never any accountants there. And it's a huge missed opportunity. And one example was, do you know the Inc. 5000, David? The list of fastest growing yeah, companies? Yeah, if somebody's like, I am 3,452 on the Inc. And they brag, yeah. people brag about it like right. 5,000 times. Well, yeah. it's a huge business for Inc., because every year they do this list and you have to pay $900 to apply and you send in financials and tax returns and they you know they rank you based on your growth rate. So a lot of the companies, I think the average growth rate is something like 400% over the last four years. So you have to be growing like, you have to be doubling. You know? Well, Earmark last year um, probably had like $3 one person. revenue and this year it's gonna have more revenue. Yes, yeah. we should so submit this. We could get on the list potentially. Um, or the cloud accounting podcast, you know, but, but, but um, what was interesting was, you know, they, they, they have a annual conference. So if you get on the list, you can then pay to go to their conference and meet all these other people on the list. And Michael Lee, the owner of Reconciled, who's a friend of mine who lives in Tempe, not far from me in, here in Scottsdale, he accidentally, they accidentally printed him two tickets. And so he called me up and said, Hey Blake, this is 15 minutes from where you live. You want to come to the Inc. 5000 
happy hour. And I said, sure, why not? I got nothing else going on. Yeah, it's so happy I, hour. We're always there. We're so I go over there and we're talking with all these business owners of really fast growing businesses, anywhere from, say, a dozen people to hundreds of people. And they're all just having a good time talking. And you know how entrepreneurs love to talk and talk about themselves and their businesses. We all love it, right? We're egomaniacs. You kind of got to be to be an entrepreneur in a way. And I was thinking to myself, Michael is the only accountant here. And there's hundreds of business owners that are all potential clients. It's genius to to go to that event and to try and that, be on that That bell list. went off for me one time when I went to an e-commerce event. Yeah. Um, it was just only Amazon sellers. And the only accountant that was there was Scott and Patty Sharp from Catching Clouds. Yeah. I had a QuickBooks shirt on. I'm If I was an accountant, I could have had 200 clients. It was amazing. It's the genius of, of niching and going to those industry events and just, just being where the clients are. And, you know, I love marketing. I'm a big fan of digital marketing and stuff, but most accounting firm leads, most clients come from referrals. And the marketing is just helps you close the deal. It doesn't help you get the referral in the first place usually, right? Yep. And 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 so that's that's the key is you got to be where they are. And another pitch for the Earmark podcast, we've got an episode coming up with uh, Michael Alleman, who built an entire practice on Keller Williams real estate agents. He got one figured out how to automate the bookkeeping for one, and now has like 85 of them. And the whole practice is Keller Williams real estate agents. And it's all referrals. It's genius. Um, Hazardous Items says, did you guys see that they charge, changed the CPA exam score release periods for 2024? It's only once a quarter now. Oh, so they make it even less convenient. I don't understand when it's a digital exam, you know, at Prometric, why don't you get your score like right away? With the EA exam, I took part one of the EA exam uh, just for just for fun. <laughs> uh, you get it immediately. As soon as you finish the exam, you get your score. Well, well we're going to have the election on Tuesday. I'm working the election. And the results will be out late Tuesday night, definitely on Wednesday. You're not waiting four months for a result. Yeah. And it's the same technology, right? It's, a, it's, you're, you're, it's either electronic or it's scanning a tick sheet, which yeah. is the test sheet. I don't know. So, you know, I mean, I still think that removing the fifth year of education requirement would be the biggest thing. But, you know, if, if the AICPA and NASBA want to actually tackle some of those issues on the list, reducing the cost to take the exam and then, uh, you know, also like making it easier to take the exam by, say, like giving people the score right away, that would be kind of helpful. Oh, and why do we have this window where you have to take all the exams within this certain period of time? Like, who cares? Why does that matter? I think that's just a holdover from when you had to take all four parts of the exam in two days, which was only because you had to take it in person and it wasn't practical to do it over time. But like, there's no reason for that. All right. I'm going to get off my high horse uh, and and uh, go do another podcast, David. I'll start wrapping this up here. Yeah. I, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm doing two streams today. I am going from here to a stream with Hector Garcia, CPA. Uh, check out his YouTube channel, Hector Garcia. He's like the QuickBooks YouTube expert. And he is doing a series with me on building a focused firm. That's the name of it. It's an eight-part series. We are doing it every Friday. You can join us live. Uh, their link to that will be in the show notes if you want to catch up on past episodes or join us for future ones. We're, we're into episode three now. We're going to go record that. People are watching the live stream now. <laughs> Can you just give them the link and they'll just stay on for the next live stream? Yeah. Or if, they'll just be on the same channel. They don't have to leave. I don't, uh, know. I don't if, know how this works. Yeah. If you want to, uh, if you're watching the live stream right now and you want to go join another live stream with me, if you haven't had enough of me today, <laughs> you can do that. I will, I have to find the link for that and put it in the show notes. 
um, or I have to put it in the chat here. Uh, the problem is I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to uh, like shut down our live stream if I shift to another channel because it's on the Earmark channel. So actually that would be the thing for our live stream viewers is go search for Earmark on YouTube, Earmark CPE, and uh, subscribe and you will get notified when we go live every time we go live. And right now it's the Focus Firm series with Hector. And we're talking about technology this week. Uh, and if you are listening to the podcast edition of this episode, find the link in the show notes to uh, join the email list and you'll get a link to each live stream. And then you'll get links to the CPE courses on the Earmark app. So you can earn CPE on demand. Just like with this show, you can go on the Earmark app and get CPE for listening to this show. You can do that for the uh, Earmark podcast and the Focus Firm series that I'm doing with Hector. So, and it's really efficient because you only have, what, seven weeks left to get all your CPE. So if you're getting CPE, you know, listen to a podcast where you're walking the dog and you get your CPE credits. That's that's the way to way to do it. Yeah. Um, hey, good news. Our QuickBooks Connect plans are finally tightening up. I will probably, I'm thinking of actually recording a little mini promo and dropping into the feed. So we'll have some news for our listeners about our plans at QuickBooks Connect. It's very exciting. We're, you know, we might be having a party, maybe something like that possibly so party stay tuned okay well, news on that to come and uh, hazardous says you guys make auditing leases much more calming appreciate you both thank you for joining us hazardous items matthew oc uh hope to see more of you on our live streams it's a lot of fun chatting and you can do that by subscribing to the cloud accounting podcast on youtube hope to see you next week david and i will definitely see you next week Bye, everybody. Time for the classifieds. Are you still paying 1% for ACH to receive money from your customers? With uCollect, you can pay as little as 30 cents per transaction. uCollect has two-way sync to both Zero and QuickBooks Online and gives you the features that the accounting systems lack, like installment plans, secure automatic payment setup invitations, automatic receipts, and allows access to other credit card merchant providers beyond the ones that come with the accounting system, giving you more control over the service fees that you pay. For more information and a 30-day free trial, go to ucollect.biz slash C-A-P. That's ucollect.biz slash C-A-P. Check out Hector Garcia's new app called Right Tool for QuickBooks Online. Instantly increase your productivity with keyboard shortcuts and more. It will save you seconds. The app is free at the moment in public beta. Check them out at righttool.app. That is righttool.app. R-I-G-H-T-T-O-O-L. Dot app. I don't care where you live in the United States. If you're a CPA, you have to take ethics continuing education. And I don't care who you are and where you live. You hate taking ethics continuing education. That's why me, Greg Kite, and my buddy, Adam Browd, we created a podcast called Drunk Ethics, where we unfold and uh, expose all of the inner secrets of not just ethics, but how to become more ethical and to promote ethical behavior at your workplace. And we do that while we are getting progressively more faced during the course of each episode. In each episode, we take seven shots every seven minutes. And so at the beginning, we are scholarly. And by the end, we are drunk yet still scholarly. If you're interested in this podcast, which I know you are, anyone can listen to the podcast for free. It's out there. You can find it. But if you want CPE credit for it, NASBA certified CPE credit, 
It is a premium course on Earmark, so if you're already a subscriber to Earmark, it's going to be more than that. But listen, it's worth it because of two reasons. First off, you know your company, you know your firm's going to pay for it and not you. And second of all, it's worth it, damn it. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.